0: We're talking about uh, again july 26 1986 that was out of greensboro north carolina uh the greensboro coliseum a hot wrestling uh uh town for sure and uh this is going to be headlined by the dusty Rhodes versus rick flair nwa world's heavyweight championship match um and uh, let's see here. The very first match on this event. One thing I thought was interesting, by the way, about this event that you may not be prepared for if you haven't watched it yet on the WWE Network is this seems like footage that's almost like uh, discovered. Not, I don't want to say discovered footage, but the fact that all the shows aren't there lets you know, I guess it's not as easy to come by. Um, so uh, I think during the time, like you could only get like this particular show and like on vhs or something it was like one of the only ones they put out on vhs and uh but uh, there's no commentary on this thing which i thought was really interesting so you're watching a show i mean with some good camera angles and everything that's not the issue but it's just it's kind of weird because you get all the noises from the ring did that put anybody else off because it didn't
1: it it actually didn't put me off it did the opposite i actually loved it I, i was sitting here you know uh one of my biggest beefs with modern wrestling, not Joe Galley and Stu Bennett, they're excluded from what I'm about to say, but one of my biggest beefs is the commentary and the fact that, so the more I watched this show, and yes, I did realize at first the huge void that there was no commentary. I would have loved to hear a Shivani or JR or somebody like that, those classic voices, but like, it it enabled me to enjoy the wrestling show like I was there. And I don't think we realize how different the experience can be when there is no commentary, but you can still hear the crowd pops and you can still. So it's not watching a show on mute. It's actually just getting the experience like you're there and you could really feel. So instead of listening to commentary, I was listening to the crowd response. I was listening to the guys in the ring, uh, you know, work on each other. And that was such a unique experience for me that I haven't had since last time i was at a live wrestling show and uh i actually really enjoyed it so you asked did it put me off no the opposite it actually like pulled me in a little further and I, by the time i got through you know halfway through this this opening bout with steve regal and sam houston i was like this is super cool and just thoroughly enjoyed the rest of the show because of that
2: yeah i mean i i get at the time i guess I've always known that version of, of this event. Uh, that's the one that I I grew up on. So, it, you know, maybe if I were around today, I might have a different response. So it's, I'm probably not as objective as I could be on this, but it, it doesn't, I never really thought about that until you just mentioned it, Gary. Um, so, you know, it didn't put me off or anything.
0: Yeah, and when I say put me off, I wasn't like uh, disgusted with it or anything like that. I just, uh, right. it was kind of weird at first. Like I was like, especially because, one of the things that I noticed that really stood out on it is uh, I'm used to like ring sounds, I think. But you could even hear like the rattle of the of the cables for like the ropes, you know, like that. That was kind of interesting to me, just like they would hit those ropes and you'd get that like clackety 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 sound. It was uh, It was just kind of interesting. Like you got a lot of the sound effects. It also is really cool to see how these guys work the crowd, though, too, because there is a lot of crowd work going on in these matches. And some people are just masters at it and uh i mean right off the top of my head i'm thinking of the stuff we're going to see from rick flair and, and like jim Cornette and those guys like they just own that crowd just like have the meeting out of the palm of their hand and uh it's uh pretty impressive and you get to really experience that with no commentary over it uh the uh so i didn't know much about these guys uh and Rob, I don't know if you have anything you want to add about uh, about these two, but Steve Regal uh, defeated Sam Houston in the opening matchup here. And uh, the, you know, basically it's just uh, he pids him with his foot up on the ropes, just like classic heel stuff. It's obviously like the opening match. They're getting people fired up and rowdy. But I will say uh, another part that blew me away is uh, my God, that crowd was into it. Like this is the opening match and that crowd was lit that whole time. And uh, they were, they were into it. Like just for just behind Sam Houston the entire time. And uh, just pissed off when uh, Steve Regal gets the roll up and puts his legs up on the ropes and they're behind it when uh, Houston like goads him back into the ring to get into a fist fight and they have a fist fight and like Houston's getting the better of him until uh, Regal rolls out and escapes. But uh regal does get the win here uh, uh any thoughts on the, this one guys or uh, any backstory you can give us Rob
2: yeah this is this is again this is a a gem of a match it's it's uh uh these are two really important guys and at the time they were embroiled over, over, over a championship belt that's not really been active for a while i think if i don't know if uh if uh, jay cows in the chat or not but he he can tell you about this too the junior heavyweight championship. One of the most venerated titles. It is a world championship. It was owned, operated, dominated by a guy named Nelson Royal for many years, and Denny Brown was in that uh, discussion too, along with Sam Houston and, and whatnot. But Steve Regal uh, and Denny, um, they wrestle for this for this belt several times. It's like it's like every time they would even do it on Saturday, you know, on the Saturday shows and stuff. And uh, and and here we have Sam Houston entering that 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 junior heavyweight. Uh, title pitcher and he I think he even held the belt once or twice this is by the way the husband of Baby Doll uh, Sam Houston is uh, and uh, Steve Regal an interesting little curious feature is Steve Regal is considered one of those unofficial members of the Freebirds uh, Jimmy Garvin was a, a legit full-blooded member if anyone has any doubt about that but for a time in the AWA Stephen Regal would be brought into that organization too and he, and he would work with Jimmy Garvin, of course, and the Freebirds and do some other things. Uh, but uh, uh, when he came to, when I first got acquainted with Steven Regal, um, it was his connection with Jimmy Garvin that I remembered. And then he immediately came in and had a few with Denny Brown, which may have been featured in the Bash. I know I know, it was about that. It was either 85 or 86. It was right around there. But Sam Houston was, uh, was a pretty important guy, too. He was one of those really close friends with magnum ta and with dusty roads when they were doing the whole uh, midnight rider gimmick sometimes to throw the four, the four horsemen off or the uh, the midnight express sam houston would show uh, up as the midnight rider and not dusty roads and everybody would be, like tripping out dusty roads would show up on on stage and it would be sam houston as the midnight rider he <laughs> had a completely different physique and everything but this is actually a
0: gem i, I enjoy what it's this. worth uh Denny Brown and, and and Regal fought to a draw at on the opener of the July fifth Great American. So match. it was eighty six. Uh, I was thinking it might have
2: been the eighty five match, but yeah, yeah, it was right around this time when, when they did that. So so this is this is a, a match that has uh, a junior World's heavyweight championship implications, and obviously, you know, uh, Denny Brown is also going to be on this card too, doing other things. But uh, that I thought it was pretty cool.
1: Yeah, I was like the like Sam Houston was incredibly over with the crowd, and you know I'm I'm not gonna uh, pretend to be the the wrestling historian that Rob is and say when I read this card that I'm I knew I that I knew who all these people were, um, but I mean that crowd reaction uh, definitely caused me to to look deeper and and learn more about Sam Houston and uh, had a great career and um you know great guy a lot of stuff Rob just covered just the the importance Dave you know, Scooby
0: pointing out in the chat that he's uh Jake Roberts little brother is that correct
1: he's half brother yes. yeah. half brother
0: gotcha sorry Will. Um, I didn't mean to catch no you yeah
1: um but I mean that you know and I and that again another reason why I actually liked not having commentary is because I am like as most of us probably are as, and as wrestling fans, I'm like a crowd pop guy. Like I get into those crowd pops and, you know, it was the opening bout and uh, that probably had a lot to do with it, but man, you could tell, like, as soon as he showed up on the scene, man, that crowd was lit. And uh, I thought the whole match was great. It was a screwy finish. I, I, you know, I'm not a big fan of screwy finishes. I like how they milked it a little bit and they kind of acted like they were going to restart the match. I think. Uh, like he was trying to convince the ref, you know, that, that was screwy. And, and then uh, Regal was like, nah, screw this. I want, I'm out of here. So um, I thought it was good and I could definitely, I mean, it left me wanting more Rob to your point, you know, to see these two guys continue to feud and, and to throw a belt in the mix like that uh, would definitely be interesting.
0: Yeah. Yeah that's a that's a really good point about the crowd reaction again I Houston's one of the guys too I, I think about is just like he that they love him they loved him as a baby face like you you could tell the crowd was behind him that that that's one of the things that really gets this show over when you can sit back and watch it is just how into this ship's crowd is the entire time and uh, it's pretty impressive it seems like a, a great like big crowd too like it just felt big. Like, I, I just, I, I enjoyed the show a lot. Uh, so the next matchup on the card would have been, uh, I, I enjoyed this one. It was Black Bart and the Barbarian taking on, uh, Denny Brown and the Italian Stallion. And, uh, so this was a, a pretty straightforward match. Uh, Black Bart and Barbarian defeated Denny Brown and Italian Stallion after the, uh, Barbarian hits a flying headbutt off the top, uh, Standout for this one for me was the Barbarian, and just that I've always thought that guy was huge and menacing. But you could really tell they were behind him in that way. A, lot, a little while eighties with the Barbarian, he kind of comes a member of the Heenan family in the WWF, and that's how I always knew him growing up. And I always thought he seemed like a badass, but he never got booked quite as badass as I thought he should be. Around when you know Hogan's throwing him around or something. But uh, during this time, nobody gets nothing on the Barbarian. Like, the Barbarian whoops ass throughout this match.
1: Yeah, he was a a standout for sure. That was my same takeaway, Gary, just that, um, you know, I've seen the Barbarian here and there, as you mentioned. But in this match particularly, I was like, dude is a hoss. He's a worker. Like, he he, uh, put out an incredible effort and really made the match for me. Um, You know, in an otherwise – Not super interesting match. Uh, Obviously, me not having the context of any storyline. Rob, you may know a little more about those four gentlemen and them working together. But just within the confines of just a wrestling match, I thought it was a great match. I thought he had a lot to do with it.
2: Denny Brown and Black Bart, I know we talked about them. They were both in the junior heavyweight title picture and the Mid-Atlantic Championship, which is a very historic title as well. Interesting thing about this match is that this Black Bart the, was
0: the champion at this time. Yeah, that one. Right. Sorry, sorry. I keep jumping. No,
2: no, no, yeah, no, you're fine. Uh, they were in the stable. Black Bart was we, – we had a discussion a few uh, weeks back on factions versus stables, and uh, both Black Bart and Conga, the Barbarian, he would go by Conga. Uh, the barbarian, and eventually just became the barbarian, but they were in they were uh, in the stable with Paul Jones, along with like T.J Kahn, Baron von Raschke, Shostakovich, Pistol um the Raging Bull, Manny Fernandez, and so this was this was a, one of the instances in which we have the 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 number one Paul Jones army in action, not involving necessarily um, uh, Jimmy Valiant directly, but Denny Brown was a very close friend of Jimmy Valiant. and so the war was playing out on this front. The other interesting thing is that the Italian Stallion. Some of you, I know James Lawrence is going to remember this. Um, uh, Scooby might know. Uh, J- uh, Italian Stallion was one of those um, uh, what we call enhancement talents. He was uh, he was a preliminary guy. A lot of times he would go in and they like to say do the job, except he was one that was really, really good. Like kind of like action Mike Jackson. He sort of always fell short. He was in an exchange with Ric Flair and actually pinned Ric Flair in a non-title match on one of the Saturday shows. And this set up a little feud with Ric Flair and the Italian Stallion. And and there was a lot of fanfare around him. So uh, coming – and I I don't know. I can't remember. Maybe someone in the chat can enlighten us here. I can't remember if it was before or after this. But the Italian Stallion was very, very respected. And he was not – this wasn't considered a sure thing for uh, Paul Jones' army. But this is basically another – Battle in the Jimmy Valiant versus Paul Jones Army War, which had so much meaning for the fans and which is going to come to a climax here on this particular uh, in this bash between uh, Paul Jones himself and Jimmy Valiant.
0: Yeah, you know, I I had not seen Black Bart, uh, so that was a little treat for me here, too. Um, I had not really you know, sorry, just not seen many matches with Black Bart. I'd always heard of Black Bart and heard stories about Black Bart, but i never seen him in action. Uh, so that was interesting for me. But again, uh, man, the barbarian, just one thing that really stood out to me, if I could just say is go back and watch this mo- this match. And he throws like the big boot at one point, And it looks like he is murdering someone. Like it is not like, when Hogan would hold the big boot and a guy just runs face first into Hogan's boot, like barbarian, like lunges, (laughs) like throws the boot in your face. Like he's like, I'm taking your head. Like it's mine now. And I just, I was blown away by that. I was like, he just killed someone. That is crazy. But anyway, he was, he was very good. I could see why people were behind him. And probably just, you know, he was, he was probably more of a body guy. Maybe I just like big, Big tough guys like that. But it just, uh, anyway, just a fun match. Uh, next up, we had Manny Fernandez defeating Baron Von rashke with, uh, Paul Jones that Rob just mentioned. Uh, it was a loaded glove on a pole match, uh, which was, was just kind of fun. You don't see many of those. My mind always takes me back, uh, just because of the age I am, I guess, to the uh, coal miners glove match, uh, that spin the wheel, make a deal. But, uh, was like Jake the Snake. But anyway, loaded glove on a pole match. Uh Baron Von Rashke. One thing that was blowing me away so far about this show, by the way, too, was that uh Barbarian and Bart went over, and so did Steve Regal. So you've got the first two opening matches on the show are heels uh taking the win here, and then von Rashke ends up getting the glove first. Uh ends up trying to swing on uh Manny Fernandez, but uh Mindy ends up dodging it every single time and then just gets a quick, like, fly body press for the pin, one, two, three, and gets a quick win, and he's out of there. Uh, So Mm -hmm. it's a fun little match, but uh, it's always cool. I I like seeing Bear Rashki anyway. I think he's kind of a cool wrestler.
1: Yeah, you know, one thing that it's probably applicable to bring up at this point, this is when uh, I believe the show turned into the Great American Bloodbath, uh, because I think every match from here on out, there was blood in some form or fashion. This one was uh, Baron Von Raschke with, you know, the, the, what's, I forget the name of the move when he palms the dude's head. I'm sure there's a name for it. Oh, the claw. The claw, yeah, yeah, the claw. Uh, When he put the claw on and Manny was just bleeding, I mean, it looked brutal. Um, Mm -hmm. Stuff like that really, really gets you going in terms of, you know, when we talk about, authenticity and things like that it's just super cool to see um but uh yeah i mean it it was a great match i love the story it told um i love i love manny fernandez i think he's i mean he he's a he's everything i've ever seen him and he was great and um so that was a treat to get to see him and uh i just i thought it was a great match
2: uh Manny Fernandez here is about to, uh, and I don't think we're going to be covering any of the Bash show here uh, as we go on, so I, I don't. This won't be a spoiler, but Manny Fernandez is about to make a heel turn. He is a baby here, and he's going to accept Paul Jones's money shortly after this match uh, to join the army. And eventually, I don't remember if it was this year or maybe '87. I think it was. Might have been later this year. He and Ravishing Rick Rude uh, form a tag team and and actually beat Ricky and Robert for the belt and had one of the greatest NWA title runs ever. They were a stout tag team, he and uh, Rick Rude. So uh, just a little bit of context there.
0: Oh, that's good stuff. Um, All right, and then we'll move on to the next matchup, which uh, you want to talk about a bloodbath. Well, it gets really going in this one. uh, When Wahoo McDaniel takes on Jimmy Garvin with Precious, in an Indian strap match, and uh, I mean, I don't know, it wasn't, but like five minutes into this, it felt like, and all of a sudden, Wahoo McDaniel was just a, a blood fountain. He was just like a, his head turned into a spigot. He had the proverbial crimson mask just pouring down his face, and uh, this match was a lot of fun, by the way. I really like this. I think Jimmy Garvin and Wahoo were, were uh, really cool to watch, and Wahoo just seems like tough as nails. And uh at Jim's place that perfect chicken sh- kind of guy, just uh just scared of who's gonna do it, doesn't wanna be tied up to a and uh, it was just a lot a lot of fun. Well, who obviously gets the win here because... um good talk
1: everybody. Okay. Well, you, you, went, <laughs> you 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 were you were breaking about- up you were breaking – I was going to jump in, but you were breaking up. I don't know if it was your internet or mine, but uh, I didn't know if you were done.
0: Oh, but, no, no. It does say, yeah, my internet just went unstable. Weird. Okay, sorry about that.
1: Yeah, uh, no. I was, I, I'm try to put that on us,
2: man.
1: My favorite part of this match was uh, I, I like how Wahoo used the strap uh, to keep uh, Garvin in the ring. That was – you know, because it's a, a classic heel move they're intimidated, they don't want to fight, they're chicken, they're, they roll out. And every time he did, Wahoo would pull him back in the ring. I thought that was super entertaining um, to to see. That was kind of – I mean, he literally kept him on a leash and uh, made him made him come fight him. So that was a really cool aspect of it.
2: Yeah, uh, Wahoo McDaniel, man, uh, one of the all-time greats. Rick Flair regularly cites him as one of the toughest, hardest uh, opponents ever. Uh, held the U.S. Championship, I think, Magnum CA – Won the belt, the U.S. title from Wahoo, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, and here, Jimmy Garvin, one of my probably top five favorites of all time, man. Uh, it, it, an amazing match. With, and it was escorted by Precious, the beautiful, gorgeous, matchlessly pretty Precious. Uh, and uh, just the Indian strap match, man. It's <laughs> classic. Love it. Great storytelling again.
0: Was uh, Precious your first love, Rob? Uh,
2: my first love was Missy Hyatt. And and Tila Tila from from, uh, Masters of the Universe.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I don't blame you there either. Uh, um, All right. So, next up in the uh, event, we had Tully Blanchard with JJ Dillon defeats Ron Garvin in a taped fist match. Did not see this one going this way, but they did a great job of uh, really just getting Ron Garvin over as like a tough SOB, just like beating the snot out of uh, Tully Blanchard the entire time. Uh, And even, even after Tully like loads, gets the glove loaded up by, uh, by JJ. I mean, Ron still stays on top of him for a little bit, but finally just uh, squeaking out a win there uh, when they head outside. But uh, thoughts on this match, fellas.
1: A lot of blood, a lot more blood.
2: Boy, uh, uh, Tully Blanchard was a freaking biohazard, man. That chuckle was a bleeder. <laughs> like he and he and magnet TA back in '85 had this fantastic, like I quit match, and it's, it's like I think it was Bob is it's in in a cage, and it's like. Tully Blanchard is just—he's one of those ones like Dusty and uh, and, and Flair, man. You can't—he can't walk into a ring without getting busted open. But fantastic match. I always like Ronnie Garvin. I don't think he gets enough respect. Tully Blanchard's one of the greatest of all time. Uh, uh, no, no doubt about it. He's the very first really cool bad guy, you know. And uh, uh, so, again, this is the uh, this story right here is the the not really faction or stable, but just the the. NWA fam that existed in those days between Magnum, Ronnie, Dusty and the Rock and Roll Express and Sam Houston against one of the guys that were uh, that, that was with the horsemen, Tully Blanchard. And so they had this perennial feud from, you know, early late 85 all the, all the way through 87, 88. And it was always those guys in the mix. So uh, this is, uh, you know, their fam representing the horseman fam. And it was, um, you know, it'd be like if uh, me and Gary and Will and Jay Cow and RJ and and uh, WWE Front Row and wrestling with MMA went up against Pritchard and all his guns. We'd kill them.
1: We'd bust that tail. Well, that's basically what we're doing. Yeah. Yeah. That's such a now, Yeah. This match, uh, the clearly we're winning. Noted, the other thing I noted about this match, they uh, introed it by saying it was going to be, uh, I think, 10 three minute rounds. And with 30 seconds between each round for rest. And immediately when they said that, I said, that's too long. <laughs> that is too much. And luckily it only went four rounds uh, out of the 10. So I was nothing against those guys. Uh, but this obviously wasn't a traditional wrestling match, which I'm here for traditional wrestling matches. Uh, some gimmicks, which there were a lot in this event. Um, but this was one of the gimmicks that I was like, that that would be too much. So I'm thankfully – it went four rounds, and this was just your classic story of, uh, you know, Tully gets attacked before the match really even starts. He never really rebounds from that, and then gets the edge at the end. And so it was a good story overall. Um, I, I think they were right on the verge of giving it too much time in this show, but but I, I was. Happy. Yeah, um,
0: two things would be that. Um, yeah, I noticed that the uh, announcer here, he was ha- having a little trouble anyway, because he <laughs> yeah. also announced like Rod Garvin, like uh, he that he had won the match and he had clearly not won the match. And uh, so he had to correct that, which I'm sure wrecked the minds of that crowd. Also, I pictured Rob Stinson as more of a uh, an evil end kind of guy. It's not not into the bad girls, I guess. huh? Yeah. <laughs> 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 weird
1: laugh. Oh, there, that was a weird. I line. know, it's a really weird
0: laugh. <laughs> he was like, "Oh, like Tila's the kind of girl you take home to your mama, but I'd be sneaking out for some evil in every now and then." You know what I'm saying? Yeah,
2: <laughs> that's right. That's what's up,
0: man. I am really creeped <laughs> out by the weird laughs that Rob is I giving mean, about this I whole I conversation. To, like, you. I
2: am too it's Not weird. like you haven't heard that laugh before, Gary. <laughs> I, we have <laughs> not. I have <laughs> not. <laughs> <laughs> that was new for me. <laughs> and and, and, oh, well, we'll, and, uh, the, and hey, just in the in the spirit of full disclosure, I also was really into the sorceress Tila's mom. She was hot as a mug too in Masters of the Universe, so it's not just the bad girls, okay?
0: No, it's true. Um this this sounds like a, a video you could find on certain sites though. So um <laughs> we're gonna move on. <laughs> <We'll
1: do> those, <laughs> those those sites <laughs> Those sites don't sponsor. Us
0: <laughs> Those sites don't sponsors. We'll work on that. Uh, we'll let we'll let we'll let Rob get on that. Uh, anyway, all right. Let's move on to the next matchup. We'll do a He Man episode later. <laughs> um, the uh, The Rock and Roll Express, Ricky and Robert, uh, take on the uh, Minnesota Wrecking Crew, Ole and Arn Anderson, and they go to mm-hmm. a draw in this tag team matchup. Uh, very good match by the way just all around I don't know what else to even say about it. this is a clinic these guys are like all of these guys are just really good at what they do and yeah. uh God bless art Anderson God bless Ricky Morton and Robert Gibson only looks like he's just mean as hell <laughs> and that's uh, this, it's just
1: a fun match to watch I mean the first the first thing I noticed is is this made me this made me really excited for what could happen with the young bucks and FTR because that's what I felt like it felt like that same kind of rivalry. That's a good point. And, and right. so that was one of the, the dots that I connected with then to now um, because obviously the Young Bucks take so much of their uh, stuff from rock and roll. I mean, they're essentially the modern day rock and roll. They haven't accomplished uh, the same stuff and, and they still have a lot of legacy to build ahead of them. But uh, that that comparison as I was watching this match was just really cool. But it looked like – Two super cool rock stars fighting two dads. <laughs> like it was just such an interesting uh, dynamic there. But it was a great match, man. Arn Anderson's my all time favorite, partly because of his ability to sell. He was selling that leg this whole match. I mean, you believe that Arn Anderson is in a fight no matter who he's fighting. Uh, he was carrying that TV title and uh, like he did so often. And uh, so uh, it, it was a really fun match. Again, like you said, just a clinic um but i mean all all parties involved uh came to play in it and it was a it was a stellar a stellar bout we lost rob because i mentioned another wrestling promotion i mentioned yeah, yeah, yeah. the 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 young bucks and it falls FDR off every time rob like, fell asleep
2: you're at you're, you're i'm just saying, I was like, you're you're right man that's good good summary i uh Anything the Rock and Roll Express did was magic. With Minnesota Wrecking Crew, although this version is not probably the best version of that team, they're pretty freaking good. And uh, you can't put uh, you, you can't put anything. I mean, like you said, the way Arn Anderson sells is amazing. Uh, I want to say that um, Ricky and Robert. Gosh, man, I just I can't quite remember. I think that Ricky and Robert at one point switched the belts with Ole and Arn. Is that ha- did that right? Did that happen?
0: That feels right, actually. I feel yeah, like yeah, I think that happened. happened. I'm not.
2: A, I can't. I know that Ricky and Robert won the belts from the Russians, but I think at some point around this time frame, there was a title switch, and of course, the Midnight Express comes into the mix. Also, um, um, there's no love lost between it. Again, this is another iteration of the feud between the Dusty Rhodes-led faction and the uh, Four Horsemen. So, um, every match is important. Every match has implications with with what's going on in the in the 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 broader context of the NWA. Nothing is just randomly thrown in here. So,
0: yeah. Uh, next match on the card had uh, Paul Jones taking on Jimmy Valiant. Uh, had, uh, Paul Jones has Shaska Watley in his corner, and uh, they are doing a hair versus hair match. Um, this match. Va- this was like I don't know. I, I, I was I was super into this idea. Um and I really like Jimmy Valiant, I think, but for some reason I never got as into this match as I wanted to, if that makes yeah,
1: sense. Yeah, the match the match wasn't good. Um just so just so people know we're not like just putting over everything we see in, in vintage wrestling. Uh this wasn't a good match. The 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 haircutting at the end was interesting but it was like a little bit scary jimmy valiant's facial expression like he look like he had a mood swing mid head shave like that kind of freaked me out and i didn't know if they were like going anywhere with that but um yeah i mean this was this was a gimmick match at its finest i mean i'm sure for the live crowd at the time and rob you may have some some context for this as well that we don't um but i'm sure it was was meaningful but it was kind of a, a little a little lull for me in this show
2: it, you're not going to get standard technical wrestling from either Pistol Pez Watley or Jimmy Valiant, they're both great wrestlers, great entertainers. That's not what you're gonna get. You're gonna get they're basically fighters, both of them. And this was out outstanding match, I have to disagree respectfully, uh, because of the context. I mean, Pistol Pez Watley and Jimmy Valiant were friends for years, as was the Raging Bull Manny Fernandez. They were a family, they tagged together for years and years and years pistol pez Watley had only recently joined the army he he and uh i remember correctly again some of you guys can correct me there was an interview between with jimmy valiant and pistol pez Watley, and they were just talking about their war with 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 um paul jones and the barbarian and baron and other, all those guys and at one point in the match or in the interview excuse me uh valiant makes the comment just in passing that he has Pistol Pez Watley with him, the greatest black wrestler of all time. And when he said the greatest black wrestler, Pez Watley stops in mid-interview and he attacks and turns on Jimmy Valiant. And we learned that he had been bought out and, and, and had won the army. Well, Jimmy Valiant is a regular guy. He never he would always make uh, you know interviews about hey I, I've got you know I'm making ends meet. I'm I'm just gonna have this job on the side and millionaire. Uh, and the only thing I have to offer up is my hair. That's all I have to give. And so he put his hair on the line in this match. Lost the match. Well, guess what? There are two other hair versus hair matches in this uh, in this batch. So later on, since he loses his hair at this point, he, his sidekick, his longtime girlfriend, who he called Big Mama, and he actually had Big Mama's uh, name tattooed on his knuckles, he put Big Mama's hair up. Against later on Paul Jones's hair and Shaska Watley's hair in this feud, and of course, as we know, uh, Jimmy Valiant wins those two matches and gets his revenge later on. But this was the one that sort of, you know, Jimmy Valiant had that long, long blonde hair, and that was his kind of his thing, and kind of like Josephus. Let me tell you, the 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 people who were who perfected the guys who perfected the hair versus hair genre of matches that we still see going on today was Jimmy Valiant and Paul Jones. So this has important historic implications, even for the NWA today.
0: Very cool. Uh, love getting that, uh, that backstory on it from Rob Stinson. That's why we hired the good doctor because uh, <laughs> uh, he could provide us with that. Um, so uh, for me, I, I mean, you know, obviously we didn't have that kind of uh, context, I guess. And so that's why Will and I had that little lull there, but uh, it would be quickly reversed for myself when we get to the very next matchup. Which is uh, Magnum T A versus Nikita Koloff in their best of seven series. Now, uh, I did get a little context on this one at the time. I remember, uh, basically, Bob Geigel was overseeing a uh, interview between Nikita Koloff or like the Russians, and uh, Magnum T A would have like his mom like there at, at, at the at the table too, and they were discussing. It, and Nikita kept taunting him, basically, basically telling him he's a mama's boy. He's She's got him by the ape and strings, that kind of stuff, just uh, pushing him. And uh, in the little video clip that I saw, essentially, uh, he says that, you know, this basically just goes to proof that, uh, you know, Russian women are superior and know their place and American women are trash or something like that. And this uh, pisses off Magnum T.A. and he jumps on him and this gets out of hand. Bob Geigel kind of of tries to interfere settle things down and uh, Magnum TA ends up slapping him across the face basically. And, uh, this causes Magnum TA to be stripped of the United States championship essentially. And, uh, he and Nikita are going to have a best of seven series to determine, uh, who, who's going to be the new U S champion. Um, and, uh, at this point in the, uh, best of seven series, uh, the, i think uh let me see here yeah it was uh koloff was up by three and uh this was gonna mean that uh magnum needed four straight wins to go now for history's sake it's worth noting this this best of seven series (laughs) ends up being like a nine match series it doesn't go seven and uh but the important part of this one is it's a badass match and magnum gets his first win a very emotional win and begins his trek to getting back to uh, winning the best of seven tournament. Uh, I I just, man, I watched this, and you could totally see why Magnum's the man. And you could totally see, like, Nikita is such a freaking hoss. Like, he is just, like, the perfect wrestler. Like, he just looks like the perfect wrestler, I mean. Uh, he, he just looks like an action figure, I guess is what I'm going for. And, uh, and it's just... Uh, what a fun match. And there's a part where Magnum like busts his head on the uh, post. And I thought he was dead and he barely makes it back in for the, uh, 10 count at one point. And, uh, anyway, just a great match, but Magnum does come out on top and that crowd fricking goes nuts when he wins that matchup. Uh, but I'll stop rambling. What did you guys think of this one?
1: You Hit the nail on the head, man. Nikita Koloff looked great. Uh, you know, having more context for this feud, obviously I was a little more bought in to the match as a whole. Um, I, it was it was insanely good. Um, it, you know, anytime I see a, a Magnum TA match, I, I do get a little sad for what could have been, you know, had he not had his accident. and um, But I'm glad we got what we got with this feud. I think it's one of those landmark things in pro wrestling, especially NWA. Um, pro wrestling. Um, I, I thought I thought the finish was interesting to this particular uh, bout, but um, yeah, man. I mean, this this was the treat of the night for me, hands down.
2: Um, this is one of the along with the Paul Jones stuff, and I know that's going to sound a little bit weird because because they you know they're not you know main eventers, but along with the the Paul Jones stuff, this was the emotional high point of the whole bash thing the the nikita magnum thing i mean don't get me wrong what rick flair and dusty do later is very important and that that series of defenses was the most important thing for sure and and, and you guys know that i think that uh, i've said this before i think the dusty the dusty flair match is my favorite match of all time um in the greatest year of all time but the, the magnum ta nikita koloff best of seven series is the emotional peak of this and i there is a an outstanding RF video or a high spots interview with Nikita and Magnum called The Feud. And in it, like what you were saying, they said this wasn't just really a seven match deal. They did several house shows. Is it larger than that? Like every time they'd go because there wasn't a lot of syndication and people weren't seeing these matches that every time they'd go to a town, they'd bill it as one of the seven um and then when they did these visible matches they, they would ascribe a number to it, it as part of the story writing but i was afraid of nikita man i was afraid of nikita koloff in those days he was a monster he was one of those really big dudes like the road warriors um he would go on to have a really historic feud with rick flair even and um and uh, uh i just remember and this is the height of the cold war too so there, there's that that world context too where Everything was so believable. kpe was a real thing back then, and 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 you know when I saw Ivan and Nikita and then crush Kr- the Khrushchev turn and join the Russians, he was uh, an American before that, but I believed it. Like I was uh, terrified of these guys, and 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 uh, this series, man, was like, gosh, man. It, it, emotionally, after after this happened, everything else was healed heal uh, from the sense that you felt like you couldn't. You couldn't really invest your heart into anything else that happened because Magnum T A was representing Old Glory, man. He was representing the red, white, and blue, and and uh, and we felt it. You know, it was a, by the way, just as a little side note, Nikita Koloff, who's coming on Piper's notes the Friday after next, he's actually a relative of mine, so um, through 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 marriage and and this and that. But uh, uh, but we talked a little. Somebody bit Somebody helped that. you out with
0: that when you were uh, scared of him. <laughs> but, yeah, time,
2: I wasn't related to him yet. I only got related to him when I, he's actually related through my wife Tanya. My wife uh, Tanya's dad is uh, is Nikita Koloff's uh, deceased wife's brother. Um, so you, you know, he had a part of the storyline of him becoming a babyface was Mandy Koloff, his beautiful wife, passed away in, 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 in for real, and uh, and they had and of course Magnum went through his very tragic injury, and that all played into Nikita Koloff becoming uh, one of the great baby faces ever, and joining forces with uh, with with uh, Dusty Rhodes upon the superpowers. but But uh, Nikita's wife, Mandy, is my uh, is my my wife's bad sister. So how what's that, uh, aunt or aunt law? I
0: don't know. how you Yeah. Anyway, that, no, that's, too much that feels for me. On. <laughs> no, 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 that's cool, man. Uh, the the thing is with this, uh, I mean, for context, it's um, what I really enjoyed was just seeing these guys, two guys like really solidly in their prime uh, doing battle here. And uh, what would end up happening is Magnum get his three wins in the official series. And they would wrestle like two more matches that both went to like double DQ. And so it would take a ninth match. Uh, in Charlotte and later in August. So it would go outside of the Great American Bash Series um, and uh, Koloff would finally get the win and take the U.S. championship. But that was actually, and we'll do a deep dive on Magnum someday and and Nikita, I'm sure. But uh, it was actually just to help move along, like all of this long-term planning, man. Uh, This was all to build that like Ric Flair was going to, Keep being dastardly and win the title back from Dusty. And Magnum would move on from the US title and uh, move on to take on Ric Flair and, and win the World's Heavyweight Championship eventually. But of course, as Rob pointed out, that uh, due to the accident, that doesn't end up happening. Um, anyway, uh, one of my other favorite matches from this show that was just a nice, more lighthearted bit of fun. Uh, even even if the Road Warriors were involved, who looked like they would just destroy anybody who crossed paths with them. Uh, it was the Road Warriors Animal and Hawk with Baby Doll and Paul ellery and they defeated the Midnight Express, Bobby Eaton and Dennis Condry, along with Jim cornette Now, uh my highlights of this match include the fact that Jim Cornette owns the audience like nobody else. Uh just him trying to escape a tag by climbing up the side of the cage. Like all of that stuff's fun. Or like when anybody comes near him, he like ducks by the ropes. And you can hear the people just like buying into everything Cornette does. Also, uh, Road Warriors are badasses. Uh, and uh, Bobby Eaton is still a god. And there is that. And Dennis Condry, honestly, is really amazing too. So these guys, I never appreciated them as much as I should have. And Over the last like year, I have learned to really just freaking love the Midnight Express. I think they are quite possibly the greatest tag team that ever existed. So anyway, you guys go ahead.
1: Yeah, it it was it was interesting to have a a steel cage match before the steel cage match, the main event. Um, That was one of the things it was almost like a steel cage warm up match. But yeah, it was I mean, always entertaining Uh, Jim Cornette always has the audience in the palm of his hand, even if, I mean, especially because they hate him. Um, but I mean, this, I think everything went off uh, the way it was supposed to in this match and it, it came across and baby doll getting the pin um, was, you know, was, was perfect. I thought.
2: Yeah. Um, uh, baby doll had been uh, with Tully Blanchard. She was his long time, uh, um, you know, arm candy and, and sidekick. And, and she had left Holy Blanchard. There was a big, big feud between her and the Midnight Express. At one point, Jim Cornette, like, gained – of course, Jim Cornette is always embroiled in controversy. But at one point, he actually hit Baby Doll at a time when that was not. This is well before the Attitude Era. You didn't hit women. It didn't happen a lot. You had other women do that. Or every now and again, a guy would, you know – jerk a girl around but you didn't do that well jim Cornette actually hit baby doll in the abdomen with his tennis racket and she was hospitalized and and um that set the tone for this view but again the road warriors the most devastating tag team of all time versus maybe the greatest tag team of all time so <laughs> in the in the cage so fantastic
0: i was gonna mention that that yeah I was I was reading a little bit up on the on the context as well in this feud, and it was that that like yeah him him and Baby Doll had several battles up and down uh, the East Coast, uh, just based off the fact that he had uh, nailed her in the gut with the uh, tennis racket, and people just absolutely hated him and wanted to murder Jim Cornette. They
2: wanted and, him fired. Um, man. They wanted him fired. They didn't want yeah. him in the. So.
0: We mentioned on the July fifth show of the Great American Bash, uh, it was Dusty and Magnum that were in the match against the Night Express, and they had Baby Doll. They were apparently a big part of this feud too because of Dusty and Baby Doll's relationship. And uh, I was even reading about one point that they came in as the James Gang, uh, Magnum T A and Dusty Rhodes, and uh, ended up tying. Jim Cornette up by his neck and tying him to the bumper of the car and dragging him around. <laughs> I was like, "Oh my god, this is and, nuts!" <laughs>
2: they, they actually, but I think they, there's a couple of instances in which uh, they do a six-man type thing and Baby doll's the third partner on one end and Cornette's on the other end, and Baby Doll gets gets her hands on a, a, a Cornette and just like manhandles them. It's hilarious.
0: Yeah, well, they started off really good in this one with. Uh, Cornette, like, uh, egging her on to get into the ring to take him on one on one if she had any guts. And, uh, but that's just a ruse to get, like, Eaton, who runs and jumps into the ring and runs at Baby Doll. But, uh, uh Baby Doll ends up hitting the arm drag, which, uh, was kind of cool on Bobby Eaton. And Bobby Eaton sells it like a champ. And of course, and, uh, and of course, uh, the ending is, uh, Baby Doll just like knocking the hell out of, uh, uh, I'm sorry, Jim Rob just sent me a meme on my phone and it's like a prairie dog turd coming out of somebody's butt. So it's it's just uh, it's uh, <laughs> not put that evil on me.
2: I'm just, <laughs> I'm just doing my work as a journalist, Gary. Listen, he, probably,
0: he probably
1: got it from your Instagram
0: stories. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's going to be on my Instagram story if I can tell you that much.
1: Um,
0: <laughs> anyway... <laughs> Let's head to the main event. We're talking Dusty Rhodes versus Ric Flair for the NWA World's Heavyweight Championship. A steel cage bloodbath between these two legends. And uh, it's everything that it's supposed to be as these two are most well-known names in wrestling history. And it's it's exactly what you want out of them. Um, The biggest surprise for me, I have to say, watching this is uh, I don't know if I realized how much uh Rick blind him like and as far as crowd reaction, like I feel like the crowd was like kind of into Rick Flair even during this there was a lot of people that were just kind of like ah this guy's too good, love this guy you know just that same kind of deal uh that we talk about with Aldous or something now but, you know, I know like Ric Flair's at a point in his career now that like literally there's nothing for the past like ten to fifteen years, there's nothing Ric Flair could do that can make him a heel. Uh but even during this time in eighty six, like it felt like the crowd was just they just respected him too much. Like he he just had the the oomph, the aura. And and especially, by the way, added to it by the fact that I don't know if it's just the tape we're watching or if nobody really had entrance music except for him, but he's the only one on the tape. And when he comes out to, to his music, it's just, it's just something about It's just even more epic. Like he is the great, like he is Darth Vader coming to the ring or something like he is just, there's something Mm -hmm. way more epic. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. Oh yeah. Sorry. Will. you wouldn't get that reference. Um, Anyway, just he's a really important person. He's like an emperor coming to the ring. And uh, just, yeah. Anyway.
1: <laughs> yeah, it was very ceremonious. That was one of the, the things that I, I noted as well. Um, and, I mean, the, the cool thing to me about this, you know, we just covered the Great American Bash 1990 um, a couple of weeks or a few weeks back. And um, just to think about, you know, the four-year gap between these shows – And Rick was still – I mean, and we all know that he has a long, legendary career, um, but getting to see 1986 Ric Flair is at the top of his game. He is, you know, he's respected, as you just mentioned. Um, I don't want to use the term over because he wasn't, you know, a baby face necessarily. And uh, as we see in this match, Dusty obviously was. But uh, that, I mean – To see how over he was then um, and and respected, and then four years later, he's still at that spot, that's unheard of nowadays. guys come and go, they're almost here today, gone today. Like that's how quick runs in modern wrestling are. Uh, And so that just gave me another level of, of context for Flair and his position, not only in the NWA, but just in wrestling in general.
2: Right. And you think, I mean, this is, Flair is in the midst of his, uh, officially he's in the midst of his second title reign here. And he is a roughly, give or take a couple hundred days, because uh, when you're up to, you know, six, 700 days, what's another 100 days, right? He's roughly about where Nick Olivis was, is now, you know. Again, I think Rick's a little bit further along. Uh, but by this point, Rick is always, is already. this is why when we have these debates about should we now be considering nick aldis one of the greats of all time i'm gonna tell you right now guys based on what gary said in that reaction that was really there and james lawrence who went and saw one of these matches in person yes in 1986 Flair was already regarded as maybe the greatest of all time so, And he is where nick aldis is now so it's not premature it's you're you know it's perfectly legitimate and and the the quality of opponents was about where Nick's was or Nick's is, so it, it was a great. But I, I, this is my favorite match of all time, man. Even though my man Flair loses in this match, um, if you watch the uh, the WWE's packaged documentaries on Ric Flair and, and Dusty Rhodes, both of them use this match as sort of the uh, the benchmark of their of their feud, and they have you know Sweet Victory is playing in the background. It's just perfect, man. And, and what what a What a Greek myth right here. I mean, you want to talk about literature. You really want to talk about wrestling being high culture. This is it.
0: Well, hey, uh, it's funny you mentioned that because I was actually uh, looking at some of the results on the site, uh, 411 Mania, and uh, the guy gives this 9 out of 10, and um, he points out in his recap of this match, he says here at the end, Dusty recovers quickly and throws – Flair into the wall for two. Elbowed by Dusty misses. Flair tries to slam him. Dusty leans back and turns it into a cradle for three. For three. And the crowd is not expecting this. Dusty Rhodes is the new World's Heavyweight Championship. All of the babyfaces head back to the ring to congratulate him while Flair is left alone in the corner, totally ignored. Which, if you'll recall, November 1983, when Ric Flair... Was in a cage surrounded by baby faces celebrating his world title win, and the champ was let the old champ was left alone in the corner, totally ignored. That's art, <laughs> mm-hmm. it is.
2: And another thing about that, you know, we always talk about gimmick matches, and you guys know where I feel about that. But the one that I've always said I like is two out of three and the cage match. And the cage match, historically, when it's done right, it is designed for to end the reign of the bad guy, to cut out all the shenanigans, and to give the good guy finally a fair shit happened in 83, and now the tables are turned. It happens to flare in 86. So it's just like I'm getting chills right now,
1: guys. <laughs> I really am. And this, was a brutal, <laughs> and this was like a brutal cage. This isn't like the cages now that are really nice and buttoned up and these nice clean corners. I mean, when they were on the top of the cage and Dusty was – uh, you know, bashing players' head on on top. You could see the spikes of the of the steel fence that were coming up above. I mean, it was brutal, man. It, it, again, it wasn't like even hell in a cell. Even hell in a cell is brutal, but like they have smooth edges and all that kind of stuff, and the top covering and all that. This was like this was like a fence that you see in someone's yard. That yeah. you know, this was very unrefined, very like backyard brawl style and that just added that element of of you know that that realness to it and it, it was it was nuts man
0: yeah and and the other thing too i i'd just like to point out is like when we talk about gimmick matches and that sort of thing like i almost don't even look at like i, I can't speak for will but at least for the time period when i grew up under wrestling i considered those cage matches gimmick matches because they were like um, right. The goal was to get out of the cage and it's just it turns it into like a game almost. That's and I always thought work. that's just how cage matches. I, I thought the that's the how they were supposed to be.
1: But it's it, the stupidest stipulation when it comes to cage matches. And now with this new wave, and I don't, I don't know how recent this is. I know like most modern quote unquote cage matches like you can walk out the door. What is that? That's not a cage match. That's a door match. <laughs> like I've seen matches in WWE where guys like win the match by walking out the like, having the ref open the door and they walk. That's that's ridiculous. This was a cage match. You had to win it in the cage. You couldn't climb out. If if there was climbing out, it was it was to give that storyline element that like Ric Flair was trying to escape the beating. That he was taking at the hands of Dusty Rhodes. It wasn't because he was—he would win the match by climbing out, and it wasn't a race to climb out. Um, yeah, again, it's a true blue cage match. I mean, you had to—you had to win it inside the ring, fair and square, and that's what happened. Dusty won it.
0: Yeah, I think that was the weird part of it for me. Is like I never understood, and and my lot didn't kick in until later where it would be exactly like what we're talking about here it's like why would a babyface ever try to leave the fight that's not what a babyface does they're supposed to be like you're trapped in there because you're now you're trapped nobody can run away nobody can get out nobody can come in there has to be a winner in this match and that makes so much more sense and then to get these two guys they make it as brutal looking as it could possibly be and uh, it's a beautiful match It, it really really is and uh i can't say enough good things about it uh, and it makes me appreciate a cage match and it's so so I, I think where i was going with that even was that i i don't it's almost like the cage match I, I almost don't even count it like a gimmick match it is but it's just like no it just makes sense like it's just like let's let's get these guys in it it's like the usc uses the octagon whatever like it's just like that extra layer of protection to like these two guys are going to fight until somebody can't go on and uh it just it just makes a lot of sense um Anyway, so that's, that's a great American bash, 1986. I was looking through some other stuff, just record, just for that year. And, uh, the, uh, pro wrestling illustrated, uh, they had their, uh, one of their first, I believe, uh, you know, Dave Meltzer was kind of jumping into the thing here and they had the voting, uh, PWI wrestler of the year for 86 was Ric Flair tag team of the year was the rock and roll express, uh, and uh, the match of the year was Ric Flair versus Dusty Rhodes at the Great American Bash. And, uh, yeah, just a, a lot of cool stuff like that. By the way, just for the record, PWI Rookie of the Year for this year was going to end up being uh, Lex Luger. Oh, wow. So wow. Uh, yeah. And, uh, but, yeah, even in the Wrestling Observer newsletter – sorry, I was talking about PWI. Wrestling Observer was kicking in here too, and, and uh, that's where Meltzer's at. Wrestler of the year there was Ric Flair. Also, most outstanding of the year and uh, tag team of the year for them was the Midnight Express. So, uh, and uh, best interview was Jim Cornette. So, they uh, NWA owning like most of these categories during this time. Hogan versus Orndorff was getting some love for the WWF side of things, I think. But uh, the uh, the the big dogs were still considered the NWA guys, like the real wrestlers and uh great American Bash got its love during this time as well as uh being one of the great events that Dusty versus Flair matches going down as one of the all-time classics uh for the NWA World's Heavyweight Championship. Anything else you guys want to add for the uh Great American Bash 86? Just
2: that uh, people, you know,
0: a lot of people look
2: back on Flair's back catalog of matches and look and they hold his series with Ricky Steamboat in as the hallmark. And, they, and and it is. It's great stuff. I'm not saying that. But really, it's the Dusty Rhodes player stuff that's it. And this match was, if there was ever a Super Bowl, it was this one. Um the other thing I was going to say is, oh yeah. Um, and this just speaks to how good Crockett Promotions was because honestly, freaking Hogan and Orndorff was pretty freaking good, man. <laughs> that was a really intense feud with a guy that's One of my favorites of all time, Paul Orndorff, and uh, uh, you know that that uh, you talk about somebody elevating Hogan's game. Orndorff did it, and that feud was outstanding, but it wasn't Flair Dusty. (laughs) It's like, hey, we all got belts. The only difference is mine is gold and yours is silver.
0: Will, do you have anything you'd like to add?
1: No, it was a great show. I really enjoyed it. There, There's another one, as you mentioned on the WWE network. Uh, was it the Charlotte show? What was the other one? Um, there was two of these on there Greensboro, which is the one we covered just now and one other one It's escaping me, but uh, I'm definitely going to go watch that one just for fun.
0: Absolutely. Um, I'll just add this one little tidbit of information for our listeners on the podcast portion of what we're going to do here, just for anybody who doesn't know how this works. We're going to continue talking to you guys for just a little bit longer on the after after show of NWA. This is the NWA after dark, um, And uh, so stick around if you're in the live chat. We love you guys in the live chat. We want to hang out and talk about whatever you guys want to talk about. And in order for the listeners of the podcast to get that portion, you got to join us live. So you got to make sure you hit up YouTube.com slash Pod and uh, click that subscribe button if you're in the chat right now and you haven't done that please do that it uh, helps us get in front of more people and share it with your friends give us a five-star review if you're just a podcast listener and i say just a podcast listener i mean that with all the love and respect we appreciate you guys for listening to us and so we're trying to do a better job of keeping these things organized so they make for better podcast episodes actually because we feel like we've neglected you guys a little bit too much so with that I will add this one little piece of news before we wrap up the podcast portion of this. Uh, just got an alert and just checked it for myself. The Bruce Pritchard interview about Nick Aldis that we uh, played earlier in the show today uh, will probably be on like a news portion for the podcast. Talking about how Nick Aldis doesn't have quote-unquote it has been taken down.
1: Oh, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> <So, laughs>
0: So, you heard it here. You You can no longer find it on YouTube.
1: So, you heard it here first and last.
0: Right. (laughs) That clip has been removed from YouTube. So, uh, but uh, I would say, based on Twitter, uh, too late.
1: late. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) uh, Yeah. We're
0: we're going to find out tomorrow. Yep. so uh we can't wait to hear what you guys think about that make sure you're tuned into busted open radio on hey, Monday and uh and luckily, we'll get to- yeah
2: we have it here on this show so you can go back and listen to it whatever I do man this is like save it save this
0: assuming assuming nobody tells Bruce or Conrad that they could just go here on this show <laughs> and uh see that same video that uh we'll we'll still have it so <laughs> this will this will be fun. Uh, all right. Well, uh, we'll tell everybody where they can find you on the social medias.
1: Yeah. At Hey, it's Will with one L uh, pretty much everywhere. Uh, you can find me. Uh, hey, it's Will daily right here on this channel where I cover uh, wrestling news, wrestling culture from the perspective of an NWA fan like myself uh, and also every Friday at 3 PM Eastern noon Pacific uh, J Cal from the Alliance blog. And I go live on Instagram and uh, we do the Friday hot tag. Uh, this past week, we talked about uh, matches. We can't wait to see when power returns. Um, talked about some feuds and things like that and uh, had a great conversation. Join us live on Instagram uh, or catch the uh, video here on our channel or the audio over on J channel at the Alliance blog.
2: I'm at rstinson4 on Twitter. Uh, I, you can find me here every Sunday and Tuesday night hanging out with you guys. We love you so much and love the time. And on Friday, my daughter and I, uh, my daughter and I, Piper drop uh, Piper's Notes, which is a uh, uh, usually a discussion with a a, uh, a wrestler, a rock star, a, a wrestling super fan, just relating wrestling to the general culture. Uh, we just had Eddie Kingston. And we're the only place that you can find an Eddie Kingston post AEW interview. And uh, we are this next Friday. We've got one of our beloved family members, the lovely and amazing Donna Wrestling, will be on Piper's Notes. Where we will we'll be uh, covering. Phantom of the Opera, music of the night. So, uh, look forward to that. And also, just another news item: uh, the Braves just beat the Mets fourteen to one. They are on pace to win fifty-nine games this year, guys.
1: Wow! Go Braves! I know this is not—they don't do this anymore, but
0: well, oh, we do it. I mean, it's it's, a—it'll be up for debate sometime. Um. <laughs> all right well i am at this is gary horn the show is at the nwa pod on all the social medias uh we hope you guys will join us and subscribe like save forward share friends all that stuff do the things uh we're gonna wrap up the podcast portion of this show We want to thank you guys for listening to everything stick around if you're in the live chat because we're just going live with you guys and talking for at least another 15 20 30 something minutes depending and uh We'll, uh, we, we love you guys, and uh, if you're listening to us, uh, uh, enjoy your gravy cake.